Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Hey, good evening, everybody. Good to be here. Good to see all of your faces. And um, yeah, excited tonight. You know, I was thinking about this month we're in, the month of September. Uh, and one of the things that hit me this week is that there are, in our church, I think there's a, like a high volume of birthdays that happen in September. And one of them is that guy's, Pastor Josh Lee. His birthday this week, this Wednesday. Uh, so, you know, yeah, if you're thinking about Josh this week, give him some birthday love on Wednesday. Uh, and I think, if I'm not wrong, Kevin, who's not here, like his birthday's tomorrow, right? Fourteenth. Okay. Well. Okay. It was it's in the month, right? We're still. It's, anyone else September birthdays? Yeah. There you go. Okay. So lots of people. Lots of love. Give give some some love to some September birthdays. Um, that said, we are diving in to First Kings today, continuing on, really right where Pastor Josh left off last week. We're digging into this brand new narrative study, this uh, sermon series, the life and times, the prophet Elijah. And it drops us right in the middle of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 17, and that'll take us all the way through the uh, book to the end and really begin just the first two chapters of first, or 2 Kings, rather. And so the big headline from last week, if you missed it, was basically this. Jog your memory if you were here. It's that the Lord has decreed a significant and devastating drought over the whole land of Israel on account of uh, Israel's sinfulness, their idolatry, their unfaithfulness to the covenant, and in accordance with God's own word. And uh, because Israel has become uh, a nation that is going after other gods, instead of serving the Lord himself, sorry, this thing is not staying where I want it. Um, in light of that, they're going after Baal, this drought has occurred. And so, back and forth, there we go, uh, so in, yet in the midst of this, this drought has, has uh, taken place, and yet the Lord has determined to provide for uh, his prophet Elijah in this personal way. This is what we saw last week, that he provides for Elijah food and drink by way of this, this uh, brook and by way of the birds, the ravens, and that's kind of where we're picking up the narrative today, this evening. So 1 Kings 17, all that just kind of by way of scripture intro to kind of set our, our sails here a little bit. 1 Kings 17, verses 7 through 16 will be our text tonight. Go ahead, as you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. All right. God's word says this. 1 Kings 17, picking up in verse 7. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. 
But first, make a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, and neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that was spoken by Elijah. This is God's word. Let's remain standing together. Pray for this time in the scriptures. Father in heaven, God, you are good. You are before all things. God, thank you for this time that we've had to praise your name already. Lord, open our ears, our truly, Lord, and our hearts to hear what you have for us from your scriptures by your spirit. Do work that you need to do in this place and in our hearts in this time, we ask. For your namesake and your glory and the good of your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Men, you may be seated. All right. So, uh, church, as we consider together this next moment in the life and ministry and times of the prophet Elijah, I think the grounding reality, the simple truth that we are all of us caught up in a story that is much, much bigger than ourselves is a really helpful starting place for our reflection on this on God's word, on the scriptures here today. This reflection that we are caught up in a story that is way bigger than just me, myself, and I. Uh, Whether we're thinking from uh, a number of different perspectives, we could think about uh, the world of markets and money and the economy and how we get caught up in these stories that are far bigger than us. We can think of the the realm and the world of politics and uh, what's going on in, in terms of democracy and voting and, and all of these things and how there's so much going on that's bigger than us and beyond our control. Things just socially and culturally, these tides that are rising and falling and that we get kind of caught up in conversations that we get pulled into and kind of uh, come and go and we are just in the mix of them. I th- and through all of these things, we think of what is the Lord doing? What, where is God? And what is going on with him spiritually? All of these things, these huge stories, these narratives that are all around us. The reality is, in all of that, I am caught up in a story that is way bigger than me, right? Same is true for you. You are caught up in these stories that are far bigger than you as well. And whether these, these narratives and these stories, these tides... Uh, seem to be good ones as we are kind of caught up in them and feel like, hey, this, this is a good story. This is a story of blessing. Or whether it's uh, a moment in a, in a story of struggle and hardship and trial. Either way, the reality remains that these situations and these circumstances in our lives are present. And they call for, first of all, acknowledgement. They call for us to just pause and to realize, hey, I am a little person in a big world and there are big things going on that are larger than me. Acknowledge that these things are happening, first of all. And second of all, the calling in the midst of these big narratives that we find ourselves in is to just seek to navigate them to the best of our ability. As, as small people, 
and, you know, responsible moral agents in a fallen world? What does that look like? How do we do that well? Just think more concretely of some of these, you know, examples of big things that we get caught up in. I think specifically of some of the things, if you were in the room when Josh was praying early on, the beginning of the service, we think about, you know, the fire that happened in Maui, Lahaina. We think of these earthquakes in Morocco. We think of these huge tsunami events and the devastation, all of these things that just come and just have this powerful, profound, in many cases, a devastating effect. Our community experienced that uh, with the fire, right? We had our own fire. These realities that are bigger than us that we kind of get caught up in and kind of carried along with. Think of, as we look at the scriptures, the reality of drought, which for us too is something that we have faced that becomes this like defining reality that just kind of sweeps us all up. You might think of COVID as, as one of those events in our lives that kind of swept us all up together. And as we look and think on and observe our, our scriptures, our verses that we're looking at today, Elijah and the widow in Zarephath and her son, we see here in the text that there are certain realities that they too are simply kind of waking up in and finding themselves in the midst of. For Elijah, just to get more specific in terms of what we're seeing here, one of the bigger uh, stories and narratives that we see Elijah caught up in at least on one level, is the fact that he is an Israelite. He is a guy who was born into a particular family, a guy who was born into a particular nation. He has a national identity. He, Elijah is a man who was born into a nation that from its inception had this very unique covenantal and, and uh, spiritual connection to the Lord, the living God of all the earth, the creator of the ends of the earth. It's the fact for Elijah, one of these big things, that as an Israelite, he and his people have been called to worship the Lord, their God, and to serve him only. We see that in the, the law of Moses, the first commandment. And yet, the story that Elijah is finding himself in is that again and again and again, God's people are doing and have done the exact opposite. They have not served the Lord and worshipped him only. They have they've gone after other gods and worshipped other deities. And because of that, because they're doing the opposite, because the people of God are disobeying the Lord and are breaking the commandments that he has given them as a part of his covenant, Israel, as we see the narrative unfolding that, that Elijah is finding himself within, He's finding himself in this moment where the, the reality of Israel is that they are shifting more and more from being this country where the Lord has blessed them in order to be a blessing to all the people of the earth to suddenly now they, because they are refusing to, to follow the Lord and to obey him, they are those who are becoming and experiencing the discipline of the Lord as he promised in his covenant. There are those who are beginning to experience some of these curses that the Lord outlined that, hey, if you go after other gods, this is what's going to happen. And more and more in this moment that Elijah is in, that we are diving into here in First Kings, that's what we are beginning to see more and more. It's not, 
the blessed people who are blessing others, but it's, it's the people who are being disciplined who are then struggling and uh, in many ways becoming, uh, you know, Scripture talks about how those who are disobeying the Lord, sometimes his own people become a stench to the nations around them. They're in a certain kind of way becoming a negative cautionary tale to those around them. They've kind of become this almost like a red flag warning to other nations. I mean, like, hey, this is how not to live. This is how not to respond to the Lord. So for Elijah himself, as just an ordinary guy, as it seems to be in the scriptures, called by God to speak God's word to the uh, kind of corrupt and idolatrous powers within his own country, Clearly, we're set, we're set up here for tension. We're set up to see sparks begin to fly as Elijah, in this story, being called to speak God's truth to those who are not following along with the Lord, especially those who are the king, for example, King Ahab in this story. You know, often uh, reflecting on the reality of um, characters that we see in scripture, and uh, I remember early on when I was reading the scripture and getting to know the Bible, thinking like, man, these, these guys who are prophets are so, like, cool, right? They're so, like, powerful and clear and strong, and, uh, and thinking like, man, it would be so cool to be a prophet, right? That would be such an awesome job. Uh, and, you know, as I, as I kind of grew up and uh, started to know scripture a little bit more, and even had some, like, Bible teachers along the way, uh, I, I remember very often one uh, teacher in, in, in particular who would often say, like, hey, guess what? You do not ever want to be a prophet. <laughs> Especially, like, a prophet of the Old Testament model. Like, you don't want to be, you don't want that job. It's not a super sweet gig. Why? Because if you're a prophet, your job is to share the truth of God with God's people. And often it is uncomfortable truth that the people of God don't want to hear. And that is Elijah's story. That is, that is who he is. He has been commissioned as this guy who needs to speak the truth of God to the people of God. And as we're beginning to see and going to see, it's going to be a rough go. And yet, that's the story. That's his calling. And that's what he is being summoned to be faithful to. It's Elijah. Now, as for the widow herself and her son... Most likely the first thing that we might notice about them is that unlike Elijah, these two are actually not uh, Israelites. They are uh, actually Sidonians, Sidonians, depending on where you want to put the emphasis. They're Sidonians, as we see in the text. We see this especially in verse 9 of the text where the Lord uh, commands Elijah. He says, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to who? Belongs to what? Belongs to Sidon, yeah. Uh, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. So and in this moment, what we're noting is that the Lord, who is commanding and commissioning Elijah, is sending Elijah out of the borders of Israel. He's telling him to leave the, the country that is his home and go. I think I have a, do I have a map here to show? Yeah, there we go. So you can see there Israel, the northern kingdom, highlight Judah, the southern kingdom, and then up there, Sidon, Tyre, right in between that, Zarephath. And we're told in the scriptures, Zarephath belongs to Sidon. 
Now, two, as we think about Sidon, we think about Zarephath, two interesting and I think important facts to note just by way of background as we're continuing to get our bearings in 1 Kings. Uh, things to note about Sidon. First and foremost, Sidon is the hometown of this queen that we read about throughout 1 Kings by the name of Jezebel. Jezebel has become the wife of King Ahab. Ahab is a king of the northern kingdom, and yet uh, the duo of Ahab and Jezebel is huge trouble for the people of God. Ahab is not a king who is after the heart of the Lord. He is far from the heart of the Lord. And Jezebel is no help in, uh, in trying to get him back on track. In fact, she is exactly the opposite. He is one of these kings who is corrupt and is actually leading the people, leading the nation down the wrong path, down idolatry. So Sidon is the hometown of Jezebel. Right. Secondly then, and kind of in conjunction with that, not only is Sidon the home of Jezebel, it is also the hometown, the home country of Baal worship. Baalism itself, this kind of cultic, idolatrous uh, worship uh, sect, has its home rooted in Sidon. And so, again, as we think about the, the narrative that we are reading here and finding ourselves in, it's interesting because as Elijah is being sent to Zarephath, which is of Sidon, the reality is, is that Elijah is leaving Israel and he's going to this place that is really the home turf. It is the heartbeat and the center of the exact uh, kind of false God and the false worship center that the people of Israel are going after, and yet God is saying, hey, this is not the way to go. Over and against the true and right king, the Yahweh, the Lord, God's people are going after the God of Sidon, right? And that is where Elijah is being sent. So clearly the Lord is, is out to kind of pick a fight here with this false God and to show everyone, everywhere in the whole world, that not only that this God who is supposed to be this storm God, this God of fertility, not only does he have no power in Israel, but now it's kind of, it's, you know, we're taking the fight to them, right? The Lord is becoming offensive and he's showing that Baal has no power even in his home country, his home turf. In many ways, this is a theme that we see underscored throughout the scriptures. We see in a place like Psalm 24 and verse 1, where David is reflecting and he says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The implication here is that God's claim to the earth is total. He created it, it is all his. Everything is the Lord's. So reflecting on that reality this week and thought of some of the reflections that we hear from various theologians uh, in various moments in church history. One of the guys I was thinking about was this Dutch theologian and politician uh, and uh, educator. He, he wore many hats. He was a guy who did all kinds of things, but a guy by the name of Abraham Kuyper. You guys know Kuyper? Heard that name before? Yeah, there you go. There's one. So you probably know what's coming. But Kuiper has this famous quote, or he says this. He says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord of all, 
does not exclaim, it is mine. It is mine. It's that reality that everything is the Lord's, every square inch. And that's what we're seeing in the text here in 1 Kings. That, that God, the Lord, Yahweh, will not be shown up in Israel. He will not be shown up in Sidon. He will not be defeated in anywhere in all the earth because it is his. And so as we are considering and seeing what is happening in our, in our text today in the story, it starts to become really clear that the Lord is, is winning this, really we could call it a non-battle with this non-God Baal. Because what we see as the story is unfolding is that even outside of Israel, even in Baal's kind of home country, his, his own turf, in Sidon and in Zarephath, this drought that the Lord has decreed on account of the faithlessness of his people is beginning to have a powerful effect. It's affecting not only Israel, but the nations outside of and around Israel. Even to the point that this poor woman, this non-Israelite gal that we see in our text in Zarephath is beginning to think, hey, you know what? This might be it. This might be the end. This drought is so severe. This is so serious that for me, for my son, this might be where the story ends. As we read in verse 12 of the text, we see uh, as a response to Elijah's request that this woman bring, her some, uh, bring him some water and some bread to eat, she says this, she says, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and for my son that we may eat it and die. It's a bleak moment that is being portrayed here in the scriptures. And we can see in this woman, in her words, that there's not much hope in her in this moment. And yet, for her, for her son, the Lord has a plan. The story is not over. And we see this is kind of where we can circle back around to that big idea that we started with. This is where we can begin to see that we are, we are all caught up in a story that is much bigger than ourselves. It's much bigger than us. The truth is, is that when we are in the trenches in this life, when we are in the heat of battle and in the midst of great struggles in our lives, there are lots of things that will not make sense to us as they are happening to us. When we're struggling, there, there, there are, uh, in the midst of suffering, moments that things just, just feel utterly absurd. And we, we cannot make sense of them when we say, why is this happening? I'm sure that on some level that is what this widow was feeling in this moment. Like, why, why is this route happening? And, like, is this really it? Like, this is going to be my end and my son's end. We're going to die in this drought because the crops are failing. We'll have no food, no water. Suffering can feel meaningless can feel absurd in our experience, can feel cruel even. And yet, I think what we are seeing in the scriptures tonight is that the call of God in these moments is the same here as, the, as it is for us. And it's a call to 
what I would say is just simple obedience to the Lord, simple obedience to his word. Ultimately, I think that is what we are seeing in this example of this widow in Zarephath that she is setting for us. This woman, as we see her, she has next to nothing. She thinks she's about to, to die, her son with her. And yet, when the word of the Lord comes to her through the prophet, through Elijah, confronts her, directs her, we see her response in verse 15. And it's this very short, very simple response that she has. It says, you know, Elijah says, hey, go, you know, use what little precious resources you have, make some bread, and give it to me first, okay? I think, okay, bold move, Elijah. But he says, do that. Bring me some water, make me some bread, and then you'll be okay, right? What is her response? Does she say, hey, you're crazy. There's no way I'm going to give you what little bit I have. I'm, I'm taking it for me. I'm taking it for my kid. It's not what she says. What's her response? Verse 15, and she went and did, as Elijah said. The word of the Lord came to her through Elijah, and her response was simple obedience. Ultimately, it is this moment of simple faith. She obeys, and her story continues. The story continues from there. It's not the end as she thought it was going to be. And so we see here, what we see here, I think, is that in the midst of great desolation, the Lord is providing for Elijah. He's providing just enough. The Lord is providing for this widow just enough. He's providing for her son just enough. It's, it doesn't, we don't get the impression from the text and the details that we're seeing here that it's this great feast. It's this massive abundance that suddenly, oh man, like this is Thanksgiving dinner and we invite all the neighbors. No. It is, it is their daily bread. It is that little bit of nourishment that they need to get through the day, to make it to the next day. And yet it is the Lord's provision for them that is getting them through. And it is enough. connects to us, right? We think about the Lord's Prayer. It made me think this week, I wonder if Jesus was in some ways channeling this text when he includes in his prayer, the Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us just enough, Lord. Forgive us our debts. as We forgive our debtors. It's a prayer of simple faith. Lord, give me just enough. So, trying to think on how just driving us towards this uh, thought of application. Where do we go from here? I think the reality is, as we look at these verses today, it's this, it's that the truth that we see here, that you know, all of us, as we're in this room tonight, we're all in different places, we're experiencing different things in life, we're in different seasons. For some of us, we might be in this place, in this moment in our lives, where we are experiencing God's provision in, in great abundance. We might be in a moment where we're looking around and we're saying, like, hey, man, there's, there is bounty everywhere. The Lord is providing in his kindness. He is blessing. Like, my cup is overflowing, and this is wonderful. There's, there's, there's bread everywhere, right? There's drink everywhere. This is good. For some of us, that, that's where we are. And if that is the case for you, praise the Lord. Right? 
That, that's God's good gift to you in this season, in this moment. And I think the call of God's word, if we're in this moment of overflow and abundance, is to, to share that with others, right? Scripture calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice. So invite others into your rejoicing if you're in that place. For others of us, though, it's not the case. For others of us, what might be more primary, what might be more real, front and center in our experience right now is the lack. What, what feels most real is the devastation. What feels most real is the droughts and the famine and the tears and the fatigue and the thinking I'm about to die. To uh, you know, take the realities of this text and kind of use them in a metaphorical way, you might be in this place of feeling like, okay, my, my jar is, is spent. There's no more flour in this jar. My, my jug that should have oil in it is bone dry. That is my reality right now. And if that is you, you also, I would encourage you to take Courage. Because the Lord sees you. The Lord knows you. The Lord gives words for lament, for crying out to him. We see many psalms that are psalms of lament. They give us words that we can cry out to the Lord and say, How long, O Lord? Why, O God, is this the case? We are encouraged, just as we are encouraged to rejoice with those who rejoice, there is a call to weep with those who weep. Who weep, right? We welcome others into the weeping that we are experiencing and we share it as a people together. But either way, whichever kind of end of the spectrum you find yourself on, whether it's the rejoicing and the abundance or whether it's the weeping or whether it's maybe you're in that place of, okay, I have just enough, right? Whatever it is, whatever the reality the truth it remains steadfast that the Lord is still our good provider through it all, through every season. The Lord is still on his throne. The Lord is still, as we see happening in 1 Kings, is, is still the reality for us. The Lord is working out his plan for his glory and ultimately for our good, even if it doesn't make sense to us right now how that's all going to work out. He is king and he is good. And, and you might say, how do we know this? Like, how can you say that so confidently? The reality is we know this and we can be confident that the Lord is good. He is a good provider because he has given us his son. The ultimate provision he has already given in and through Jesus Christ. Right? We know that Jesus, as he lived and walked on the earth and did his ministry he identified himself as living water right? for those who are experiencing drought. And, like, he's the living water that will truly satisfy and will truly quench. Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, not just this tiny morsel, but the whole loaf right, that we need to be sustained. It's John 4, the living water. John 6, the bread of life. Jesus is the Savior and the Redeemer that we need, and he is the one who provides us that daily bread, so we have just enough. And the truth is, the reality is, is, is no one will get out of this life alive, right? I, you know, I say that with a smile on my face, but the reality is, unless the Lord comes back first, one in one of us will die at some point. Whether it's by drought or famine or something else, that is our reality. And yet, 
in the midst of the struggle and the trial, even in the midst of the dying, the call is to simple faith. Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. And that is our calling every day. Again and again, repent and believe the gospel. Verse 13, (laughs) Elijah says, do not fear. Does it ever annoy you when you see in scripture the command to not fear? Like, but I have a lot of really good reasons to be afraid, right? But we can be those who live into this reality of not being afraid because we know who our king is. We know who our provider is. We know that Jesus has come and that he is coming back again. Amen. Amen. We are caught up in a story that is bigger than us. Elijah was caught up in a story that was bigger than him. This widow was as well. And the story's going to go on. There's going to be more chapters, more heartbreaks, more reasons to rejoice, just like there will be in our lives. But through it all, the call is the same. Simple faith. Trust in him. Let me pray for us. God, you are good. Lord, even when we, we don't feel that to be true, even when we don't see it, Lord, thank you for the moments that we, we see it in spades. And we see, man, Lord, you are pouring out great, beautiful, wonderful gifts and blessings everywhere I look. Lord, for this group of saints in this room tonight, Lord, wherever they are, I pray that they would be encouraged by your word, Lord, and by your spirit. Lord, to walk afresh in simple obedience to your truth. We give you the thanks and the praise and the glory. It is yours anyway. Amen.